Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Proverbs 1-7. I think it's going to be up on the board here in a minute. And uh, you can read it there. You can look on your phone, whatever. But turn there. The fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs 1-7. Proverbs 1-7. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I want us to think about that and look at that for just a minute. uh, For a little bit here today. I think it's important um, for us to understand this. The fear of the Lord, fear of God, has to do with getting into a right relationship with God. It's it's being a right posture, right relationship with God. It isn't got anything to do with I'm afraid of Him and oh, I'm running away. It's got everything to do with being in a right posture, a right relationship, gaining a right perspective of who God is. Uh, It's gaining a perspective of the fact that God is the one who's actually in charge over the world that we live in, and that he has the best plans for our world, that this world, if we would follow his plans, is going to be much better off, and that we absolutely, absolutely need to trust him completely, that that's part of it all. Have, Have you ever watched, have you ever watched Disney films where they give animals human characteristics? You know, anybody here think that's kind of like whatever, you know, Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to put down Disney and all you kids is great. There's no problem here. I don't want to get parents upset because I put down Disney in front of your kids. But uh, they give animals human emotions and human thoughts. And that distorts how we really relate to the animal world, because everybody's walking around right now thinking their dog thinks just like they do. I don't want to burst your bubble, but your fur baby doesn't think like you do. He doesn't have the same emotions that you have. She doesn't feel the same things you feel. She's not human. That distorts how we relate to that animal. They they give people the idea that a deer has feelings and emotions like a human. Bambi, man, you know, hunters everywhere went, oh my goodness, when they saw Bambi for the first time. When we do this, what we do is we cheapen what it means to be human. I know some of you are sitting there going, what in the world's his problem? I get it. Hang in here with me a little bit, see if I can help you. We devalue the human capacity to love, to reason, and to have emotions because we're making animals and humans the same, and they're not. And we've done the exact same thing with God, only in reverse. We have made God to be very human like us. We have brought God down to our level. We have God doing the same things, thinking the same ways, feeling the same ways, acting the same ways that we humans do. So we have devalued his capacity to love reason and to have emotions. So to have a fear of God or to come into a right relationship with God, you have to have a correct understanding of who God is and what it is that God does. And that's difficult before us because 
we've assigned all of our human attributes to God and, and we take away his deity and we assign him our humanity. And next thing you know, we're on the same level and we're arguing with God and we're telling God what to do. A couple weeks ago, I was in my youth Sunday school small group and I asked a question that I'm going to ask you right now. And, you know, this is a, an interesting question and it produced interesting answers. And I asked this question, what do you think God does all day long? You ever thought of that? What does God do all day long? Well, you know, a couple of kids came to me. You know, they said, well, we're not sure. You know, maybe he's busy. I don't know. And one said this. He said, well, maybe he's answering prayer emails all the time, like Bruce Almighty. Anybody here see Bruce Almighty so you know what I'm talking about? At least a few of you good. I would really feel bad if nobody knew what I was talking about. And so... We thought about that, and I thought a lot about this. And I thought, maybe a lot of us are thinking, maybe God is in heaven wringing his hands right now. Oh, those humans, they're not doing what I planned. Oh, no, those humans. You know, I just don't think he's doing that. See, I think almost everyone believes in a God. There's very few that say, ah, there's just absolutely no God at all. But I wonder sometimes if we really know him, and if we have any idea of who God is and what he does and how he works in our world and how he really works in our lives. And I'm absolutely sure of this, that if we don't grasp who God really is, if we don't get a handle on this, of who he is and what he does in our world, then we have a really good chance of missing out on all the blessings that he has for us. And we're going to miss out on what he really wants to use us to do. And we're going to mess up what he wants to do in the world through us. Because I don't think you're here accidentally. I don't think you're here just to go through life without any purpose. And yes, I, I do believe with all my heart that God knows you completely, cares about you absolutely, and is very intimately involved in every one of your lives. So how many of you remember the name Judas Iscariot? Anybody here familiar with that name? Judas Iscariot, anybody? A few of you, you should read your Bibles more come on Easter, things like that. We'll help you out with that name, you know. Uh, Judas Iscariot. How many of you know who Judas Iscariot is? Raise your hands. Okay, there are more of you. Okay, good to hear that. He's a disciple of Jesus, for those of you who don't know, one of the big 12. Jesus had 12 disciples. He was one of the 12. In fact, the Bible says he was one of the important ones. He carried the money purse. He was the treasurer. Spent three years following Jesus, walking where Jesus walked, doing what Jesus did, eating with Jesus, spending time with him, listening to him teach. He was probably there when Jesus turned water into wine. How many of you would like to have seen that? I'd just like to have a bottle of it right now. It'd be worth a lot of money if I could prove this is the wine right here that Jesus made. Healing the sick. He watched him raise the sick up from their sick beds. He was probably there when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He was probably there when he healed the man who was dropped down through the roof on a mat. He heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He sat right next to him up in the front row because back then preachers sat up on the platform and, and probably not. But anyway, uh, he was right in the front row listening and he heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He carried a basket of food around and saw it just keep going and he was like, wow, saw it all. Is there when Jesus stilled the storms. He heard Jesus say that if you'd seen him, you'd seen the Father, you'd seen God himself. But somewhere, somehow, 
even though Judas had a whole bunch of firsthand knowledge of Jesus, he never came to understand and fear God for who he really was. And he failed to gain a proper perspective of who God is, and he failed to get into a proper relationship with God. He was not in a proper relationship with God. Judas became a disciple to change Roman occupation in Jerusalem. That's what he came to Jesus about. He thought, Jesus is going to change all that. I'm going to be a part of that. And he came on board for that. Jesus is this charismatic leader in his mind who could get done things that were just unimaginable, and he could move in ways that, that no one else had been able to do. And in Judas' eyes, he was the man, and it was going to be great because he was going to drive the Romans out, and he was going to be in power. And as a result of that, he failed to see who Jesus really was. He failed to get that God is in charge, and that we are here to follow God's plans, not God to follow our plans. And so when his own idea of taking back Israel from Roman occupation didn't seem to be happening on the timetable that he thought it should be happening on, he decided it was time for him to get God back on track, to get Jesus back on track. And so he took it upon himself and he betrayed Jesus to the Roman people or to the temple people. See, Jesus, knew, Jesus believed he knew what was best and what needed to happen in the world because he was not in a proper relationship to God. He lacked a proper fear or understanding of who God is and he agreed to betray the Son of God, Jesus, to get his agenda going. He put his own agenda above God's agenda, above God's will. Jesus was a man of knowledge, but he did not fear or understand God, and it cost him dearly. The results were that Judas missed out on the blessing of God, and all the things that God could have accomplished through Judas had to be given to another man who was grafted in, in his place. In the 1930s, there was a man that all of you will recognize his name as well. His name was Adolf Hitler, and he began to learn and understand how to motivate people. His whole agenda was is that Germany had been treated badly after World War I, that the things that had happened should not have happened, and so he was in the process of trying to figure that all out and make it work. The economy in Germany was awful. The, the morale in Germany was awful, and so he began to make speeches, motivational speeches, and he had a very powerful way of doing that. As a result, people began to listen to him. They began to follow him. He began to tell them, here's what we've got to do. There's a one group of people. They've stolen all the money. The reason there's no money in Germany is because of these people. They were hoarding it all, and it was the Jewish people. And so he began to breed hate against a group. He began to make a group the problem. And as a result of that, people began to follow him, and he became the chancellor of Germany. Hitler had great knowledge, but he did not have a fear of God. He did not understand God's plan. He was uh, making sure that his plan got brought into being. So many people do that. Put our own plan above God's plan. This is the way I want things to work out. This is the way it's going to work out. And so we get some knowledge and we put our plan into place. And as a result of that, there's devastating results. And six million people were executed because he decided that he knew better than God how to make everything work out. To fear God is to understand that God is far beyond us. We have to understand that, that God has so beyond us and His understanding is so beyond us. So I asked the kids that day up in that classroom, I said, how many people are in the world? And they came up with about 7.8 billion. I looked on, I, I asked Siri and she said the same thing. So I don't know if they asked Siri or they just are smart kids and do. But that's about how many people are in the world, about 7.8 billion people. 
I can't wrap my mind around that. Uh, that, that's just too big. I, have you ever been to the Indianapolis 500 track? You know, on a great day down there, they have somewhere around 200, 250,000, I think, something like that, about a quarter of a million people. That's a lot of people. I stood one day at the door, one of the doors of the, back in the day, the RCA dome, the uh, uh, as, uh, General Assembly let out, and I was looking for someone. I told him I'd meet them there, and I was waiting, and it looked like a waterfall of people as they came down those stairs, and they just kept coming out. There was about 60,000 there that day in that building. The Million Man March in Washington, D.C. was 1 million people. That means 7 billion, 7.79999 billion of us got left out of the Million Man March. million people all at one time is just an incredible amount of people. I can't wrap my mind around 7.8 billion. And then there's this world, the planet we live on. It's called Earth. Most of us are familiar with that. It's surrounded by planets and stars, and it's flying around at this horrific speed. You and I have no idea of that. We feel right now like everything is just, you know, saying still. But if we only could see how fast we are moving. Gravity holds it all in place. The earth is held in place in perfect place by all the other objects, all spinning and moving at the same time. It's an incredible orchestra of of, of movement, and, and it's just beautiful to watch and think about. Our galaxy is the Milky Way. Our solar system is contained within that galaxy, and there are other solar systems inside of our galaxy. They are literally, there are literally many other galaxies in our universe. The Milky Way contains an estimated 100 to 400 billion stars. No one can really count them. They're not countable. The Bible even says that. The Milky Way has a diameter of between 150,000 and 200,000 light years around. In other words, it would take you 200,000 years to travel around our galaxy. That's big. That's real big. From the sun's axis, if you were to put an axle through the middle of the sun and spin the whole thing around the sun, it would literally take the Milky Way some 240 million years to do one complete rotation at the speed it's turning. I just can't even begin to wrap my mind around those kind of things. And the question is, what does God do all day? Can I tell you that he holds it all together? That somehow he has his arms around that and that he's caught it all in place? That he's very carefully watching that and yet he takes time every day to hear your prayers when you pray and to mourn over the death of one of his little sparrows when it falls to the ground? that he cares about every individual thing that is going on around us and at the same time has his arms wrapped around the universe we live in. To fear God, the point is this, to fear God is to come to a right understanding of who God is and what God does. And the first thing you have to get in your mind is this, God is the creator of all that is here. He created all this. I don't know how he created it. I'm not one of those who say, well, it has to be seven 24-hour days, and it looks like this, 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 and this. I just know that God created. I'm not worried about how he did it. I just know that God created. I know that he spoke, and this world exists. He spoke, and boom, it happens. God, by his powerful word, John 1, 1, created this world. 
And it's pretty hard to look at our world and try to say it all just happened. I hear people say things like that. Well, you know, it just all happened. This happened and this happened. And, you know, it's kind of an accident. It's a cosmic accident. And this came together and that came together. I look in the mirror. I look at my wife. I look at my beautiful grandchildren. And I got to tell you, I don't believe it's an accident. I've seen some other people I thought were an accident, but but not those guys, you know. Uh, Not really. It's not an accident. You know, we're just close enough to the sun to be warm. But any closer we cook. We're just far enough away from the sun to be just right. Any further away and we'd freeze. We're able to have rational thoughts. I think the fact that I can sit here and talk to you and have communication with you and that I can see you and that I can experience and know that I'm alive right now is an amazing, amazing, amazing fact. No way all this just happened. I believe that God created us all and he created us all in his image. And his image doesn't mean that we are just like him. It means that we have characteristics that are like his in that we feel and see and we love and we create. And in all of this, God sustains it all and everything is in place to keep us from spinning way off from the sun. The moon does its thing. You know, I think that is the most amazing thing. Have you ever been to the beach and watched the tides come in and the tides go out all caused by the gravitational pull of the moon? And I thought about that. Have you ever had an aquarium? If you don't have a pump, what happens to it? It gets all scummy and green and stinks. It does. It stinks bad when the pump breaks. It's just a bad day, especially if you have big fish. It's gross. I, my son, when he was in college, had this big old, I don't know what it was, piranha or something that he had as a big giant fish. And he left at my house when he went off to school. You know, he, it, like, oh, you can take care of it. Big old tank. The pump wasn't near big enough. The, went in there one day. The fish was all green. Couldn't find him. He was all green. Stunk so bad in there. I finally took him to the pet store. They were glad to get him. I was glad to get rid of him. You know, it's just a bad thing, you know. But you know what? That's what the oceans would be like if they didn't move in and move out. God stirs the water, keeps it going, keeps it aerated, keeps it moving so the fish can live, so that we can live, so that this world can be like it is. Even if you say the farmer plant, uh, even if you, uh, uh, back up a second, seeds, they, they fall in the ground this week. We heard a little bit about that. And, and water falls from the sky, and, and it Plants grow and and food is there to eat. And even if you say the farmers plants the seeds, the water falls and while we sleep, the plants grow. We don't do it. It's a God thing. He's moving those plants up out of that earth. And that never ceases to amaze me that I can put a seed in the ground and and get a flower or get get a corn stalk. It never ceases to amaze me. Every spring, I look forward to that. Animals and humans are equipped to recreate themselves, males and females of the species. It's an incredible plan and process to all of this. And, and God has had a plan in place from the beginning, and it's still in place. This is not something that he's just been working on and trying to figure out. This is something that has been, and it always will be. God is in charge of it all. He made the world as his temple, and we're here to fellowship and partner with him and to live in that temple with him. I got to tell you, this is truth. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God had and has a plan to be with his creation. He is everywhere. He is all over, and yet he is intimately involved in your life. He's big enough to hold it all together, yet small enough to care about the sparrow that falls from the sky. 
And if you're going to have a proper understanding of God and really fear God, you have to come to understand that. God created the world. He created us in His image. And He loves us each intimately. And He seeks to know us personally. And He oversees personally every moment of your life. And He has a plan in place right now for all of eternity and has had a plan in place from the very beginning. He had, even, even Adam and Eve's sin did not catch God off guard. He was not like, oh man, I never thought of that. Oh, what am I going to do? He was ready the moment it happened. And he put in place the plan to bring Jesus to the earth, to die on a cross so that you could be saved and so that we could be redeemed. He chooses us as his own. He has willing to sacrifice all of heaven to come after us. I love that. God is all powerful, but freely limits his power and his will and his knowledge so that you can, of your own choice, choose to love him. He does not force you to follow after him. He does not make us. I, I don't know if you get that and how awesome that really is. It would be so easy for God to have said, well, they're going to do what I tell them to do. He's God after all, but he chose to limit himself so that you can choose him. And all this is true and so much more. I'm given a very poor description of who God is. And yet in the midst of life, we, I, find myself sitting on the throne of my life saying, God, Here's where you've messed up. Anybody want to join me in admitting that today? Here, God, let me tell you what you've done wrong. Here's what you need to do. I'm going to tell you how to run the world. Because, see, I'm just like Judas. And I'm just like Adolf Hitler. If you were a loving God, my mom would not have died of cancer. I'm telling you right now. If you were a loving God, you would never have let my dad abuse me. If you were a loving God, you would stop abortion, slavery, sex trafficking, hunger, and disease. Somehow, in our limited understanding, in our limited minds, we think we are seeing the world from a perspective that God sees it, that we have the same understanding, that we see the same things that He sees. And so that allows us to tell God what He should do and how He should do it. See, the true fear of God comes when we finally grasp this. That God is so big and so beyond us that we can't even begin to imagine. And in faith, we grasp a hold of that. That's a faith moment when I go, okay, God, you're bigger than me. You're beyond me. You understand things I can't understand. I've got to trust you. He is so other than us. There's no way for me to wrap my infinite mind around his immense universe and all that goes into it and all that keeps it moving and all that makes it work together. As Paul said and understood in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul got that and he said, okay, here's how it works, the best I can understand. He's got it all. He's before all things and he holds it all in place. Yet this all-powerful God seeks me out and loves me. It's incomprehensible that God who is beyond us chose to leave heaven and come to us and reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that, kind of just shakes my heart a little bit when I think about that. We sing a song like that. You know, he bankrupt heaven. He, you know, he, he didn't want heaven without us. He left heaven. Jesus Christ came to earth and he revealed himself to us as perfect love. Love that would leave heaven and tabernacle with us. Love that would eat food with us and laugh with us and cry over us and heal us and call us. And a love that would go to a cross and die for us. That is how uncomprehensible it is to me. I do not get that. 
The true fear, the true understanding of God happens when we grasp that God and not we is fully in charge of this world. And you need to get that. We need to get that. He knows all. He sees all. He hears all. He knows your inner heart. He still loves you and makes a way for you to come to him. He knows everything. Right now, you're sitting there saying, well, I sure hope he doesn't know. Oh, he knows. Oh, he saw you. He knows all that. But he doesn't hold it against you. He loves you anyway. True fear and understanding of God is best grasped when we bow to God and we admit that he knows what's best and what lies ahead and we submit our lives. We submit our work. We submit our love. We submit our physical desires, our emotional desires, our future plans, our eternity, our finances. How many of us have walked around and said, well, when I get to here, here's what I'm going to do. When I get to be this old, I'm going to retire and I'm going to move and I'm going to do what I want to do. Have you asked God because he's in charge? We really ought to think about that. Our finances. Oh, I'm hanging on to all that money. I'm going to need it for retirement and I'm putting it in my pocket. Have you asked God? He might have another plan he'd like for you to pursue with it. He's in charge. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you what my kids are going to do. When they get older, I'm going to send them to college and then they're going to do this. Have you asked God? Because he has another plan for them, possibly. He might be calling them to be missionaries when you're calling them to be money makers. And you know what? If you're standing in the way of God, good luck. It's bigger than you, you know. When we admit that we know it will be best for God to lead us, that's when things begin to work in our lives. You say, but we have science and psychology and, and, and all those things today that work, medicine that guide us these days. And and what about that? And I've got to answer that for you. The reality we need to grasp is this. For science, medicine, psychology, and any other of the sciences to be right, they have to be based upon the principles of God and His truth. Simple. God made everything that they're studying. <laughs> he created it. And they're a guide, and they help us understand God. And I've got no problem with science whatsoever. In fact, I love when I get to read and see that there's a scientific discovery, it, it blesses me. And, and when they're right, and when they're doing what God asked them to do, when they're basing it upon Him, His truth, their teaching can be just as holy as the Bible. And I'm not being blasphemous when I say that, because it's just truth. When we try to understand anything outside of the understanding that God is in charge, it will lead to a mess. Every time, no matter what area we're talking about, George Washington, the father of our country, said that the governing of this nation on the principles of the Constitution and the style of government the founding fathers imagined would be absolutely impossible without the foundation of a firm belief in and understanding of the truth and reality of the God of our scriptures. He believed that, and I believe that too. If we try to base laws and guidelines on how we feel or what we think rather than on the will of God, they will always become negative and destructive every time. I promise you that. Our minds are too small to comprehend completely all the consequences of every law written from our mind and by our hands. When Congress sits down and begins to write out laws and tell us how we're going to live, every time there's always side effects that come from those that affect us in a negative way. 
Whenever we come up with a new medicine and figure it out and we say, okay, uh, this will work. How many of you really wish the opiate crisis wasn't happening in our nation? Isn't that horrible? You know where that comes from? It comes from a good idea. Hey, we can kill pain with these drugs. And so let's produce them. And now they're being produced and people are taking them and they're getting hooked on them. And most people who are, a lot of people who are caught up in these opiate addictions simply started off with painkillers to deal with a surgery or whatever. It seemed like a good idea, but there's a side effect. Because we're not God. If we try to always do that, there will always be negative effects. Our minds are too small to understand all the side effects. And when we begin to try to build our own society on what we want or what we think, rather than on the understanding of God being in control, we create a mess. I'm going to say something that some of you are going to be ticked off at me about, and I don't care. I don't think Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump understand or have a true fear of God. They're still trying to run this nation themselves, and they need to stop it. They need to get on their knees and pray and say, God, what do you want to do? And I'm not being political there. I'm just being truthful. The idea that a fetus is not a human is a man-made law or idea, and it's not founded upon the reality of God's word, but it's founded on convenience, and it therefore leads to negative and destruction, negativity and destruction. Consequences, and the reality is, is that the women who have suffered through abortions have been almost as negatively affected as the babies themselves, and no one ever really thought about that. They just said, oh, this is a convenient way to deal with an issue. But the consequences are devastating. Knowing and understanding God is the very foundation of understanding on how to lead in every field in our lives. Right, good relationships Right, good leadership always submits to God's leadership first. And no matter if you're leading a nation, a city, a a church, or just at your home, you need to submit to the leadership of God first. Bad leaders lead for self. They lead for power and to control. The reality is that Solomon is right here. The fear of God is the beginning and the foundation for the knowledge of how to lead and to lead in every scenario. And anything else is just pure foolishness. Look what King Solomon wrote in the rest of his opening chapter of Proverbs. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregarded all my advice, do not accept my rebuke. I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. And this is God talking. They will look for me, but they will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and they spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety be at ease without fear of harm. Proverbs 1, 22 to 33. See, this is the great deception of the world we live in. God is scoffed at. He's mocked all the time. We swear when we're told that God will save your message. Yeah, right. Blank, blank, blank. Yeah, it's not going to happen. We laugh when we hear that God wants to bless us financially. I don't need God to bless me. I can figure it out for myself. We run to doctors where they practice medicine when we're sick first rather than turning to God. I'm not telling you not to go to a doctor. I'm telling you that that when you find out that you're sick, the very first thing you should do is say, Holy Spirit, how do I handle this disease? It should be a first things first, and then we deal with that. Instead of the other way around, where we go first to a doctor, and when we realize that the doctor says there's no hope, oh, God, can you help me? We're running to him last, and he should be first. First. 
We choose convenience over conviction. And the results are that we, the world, continue to struggle and wrestle with flesh and blood. The world continues to die. We humans continue to hate each other. We continue to go to war. We continue to hoard. We continue to try and run the world our way, each seeking his or her own best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Solomon followed up his writing in chapter 1 this way. Now that you understand who God is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, listen to him, submit to him, and he will direct your paths. And the irony of this whole thing is this, when we get wise, when we really begin to understand, when our mind finally gets wisdom, when we understand and are finally wise enough, wisdom dictates that we're not to lean on our own knowledge and understanding, we're to lean on God and His wisdom. So to be wise means that I don't try to do it myself. I say, okay, God, here I am. I'm all about you. We know that no matter what we think and envision, God's vision is always bigger. I don't care how big your mind is right now, and you're saying, man, I got these big plans. God's got bigger ones. He's got a plan that's already in place, and he wants you to follow it. You need to pray about that. You need to ask him about that. Secondly, we need to understand that godly vision always includes what is best, not just for you, but for others as well. We always need to ask, how's this going to affect everyone? And God help me to make sure I do it the right way. So the question is, do you know who God is? not asking you if you've asked God into your heart and you've prayed a prayer at the altar and said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Because you know what? One of the problems that we've done is, is that we've, we've dumbed down Christianity to just a simple little prayer that we prayed sometime, long time ago, but we really don't even know who God is. And if you don't know who God is, how do you live for God? How do you really do what God wants you to do? Do you have a right understanding of who he is that and that we have to trust him in everything that that there is nothing outside of him that that we can do that that there is nothing that that is going on that we should just say i can do this myself everything 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 goes to him you know that you have to run to him in all circumstances that that when we do we can trust the outcome no matter what that god always has a right outcome for our lives always it may not seem right to you but the ways of God may not always seem right to us, but they are always right because he's God, no matter what. A surefire way to know that a person does not fear God is when you hear them tell God what to do and how he should run the world. And I'm telling you something, when you're in your prayer time and you're sitting there saying, God, here's what you need to do, that's exactly what you're doing. You're telling God, I don't really trust you and I don't really honor you. The question is this, have you fully submitted your life to his leadership? Have you fully submitted to the work that he wants to do in you? Have you fully submitted your pleasures to God? Have you fully submitted your marriage to God? Have you fully submitted your kids to God? Have you fully submitted your church to God? Have you fully submitted your finances to him? Are you looking to God to run the world? Or are you still trying to let him know your opinion because he needs help? Because that's what we do. Oh, I catch myself doing that all the time. God, I think you're just asleep up there on this one. You need to hear me on this. Now, I'm trying to get people, whatever, you know. God's in charge. Let me tell you something else about him. He's good. He's a good God. And he has it all under control. Oh, yeah, and I haven't told you this enough yet. He knows your name and he knows mine. In fact, he says he knows the hairs on our head. 
says mine are getting less. I never thought that would happen. Sorry. It's just the way it is, Jim, right? Now he has to count them on your chin. <laughs> he knows our name. He knows our head. He knows our hair count. And I can rest. No worries. Because the beginning of wisdom is to fear, to get a correct understanding of God. Do you have that today? Do you know Him today? Do you know Him intimately in your heart today? All the way. Not just a little bit. Not just about Him. Not just a, a well, I, I prayed and asked Him to forgive me a sin once a long time ago. But I'm asking you, do you know Him? Because He wants to know you. He wants to know you. And He wants you to be in that relationship with Him. It's, it's life-changing, first for you, and then for everyone around you, and then for your church and for your world. It's life-changing when you get to know Him. It really is. Let's stand together. Father, I, I'm just thankful that you know us and that you love us. And I'm thankful that you're in charge. And I'm thankful that I'm learning that and I'm coming to understand that more and more and that as I learn that you're really in charge, that it takes all the stress and burden off of me. I don't have to run this church. I don't have to be the one to figure out all the problems. I don't have to be the one to try to run my family. I don't have to be the one that has to run all the finances. I don't have to figure any of that out. I just need to come to you and allow you to help me. Lord, that you want to do that, that you have a plan that not just a plan for me, but a plan that will that will bless the world that I live in, that will bring the world that I live in closer to you and will bring us into a right relationship with you. And God, I believe that today. And I believe that you have a right plan for this nation, you have a right plan for this city, that you have a right plan for, for us as individuals. And so right now, Lord, we just submit our we submit our control to you. I know I do. I'm, I'm just asking you to be in charge right now in my life. In the areas in my life right now where I have been the one trying to run it myself and trying to do things myself, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And maybe there's others here today that you just need to say, God, forgive me for that. Right now, you just need to ask him to help you with that and to forgive you for trying to run it yourself. And Lord, just forgive me of trying to run life myself. Lord, help me. Help me to get a right perspective, a right understanding of you. Help me to enter into that place of fear of you, that that proper respect of you that allows you to run the world. And Lord, give me the courage and the willingness to just say yes, Lord, and to follow you with everything that's in me. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for the truth of this message. Lord, it has been working on my heart for several weeks and days and Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, don't let it, don't let it go away. Don't let me forget. Don't let me just say, oh, well, uh, that's just a sermon. It isn't a sermon. It's truth. It's your word. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And um, Lord, we just look forward to what you want to do. Bless your church today, Lord. Fill it with your presence. Show us what you want from us. Cause us to follow you with everything that's in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.